All right, guys, so you want to be an elder. Well, come on up. We got some folks that maybe aren't quite sure and are sitting in the very back. If they gain more confidence as we speak, they can move forward. Thanks for being here. My name is Walter Evans. This is my awesome wife, Kim, and we'll be having this time together. But I've got Clayton on the front row, so I'm going to ask him to start us with a prayer. If you can reach somebody's hand. Lord God, thank you so much for shepherding us in the most marvelous way. Thank yeah. you for Jesus' example. Though he was not married, he married us yeah. as the church. Right. And uh, we want to learn from you your compassion, your tenderness, and your, your great care and concern is how you shepherd and look after your flock, your little ones. Mm. Thank you so much for uh, plucking us out of the kingdom of darkness, putting us into the kingdom of light of the Son you love so dearly. Thank you for Jesus' example, the uh, plethora of examples in Scripture, and to be able to be here to learn from Walter and Kim. Thank you again for blessing them, blessing their lives with such wisdom and the wealth of experience. Please open our hearts, give us vision, give us humility as we seek just to do your will and to take care of your sheep. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. It's great to have all of you in the room. And let me put you at ease because some of you have asked, should I come to this class? The answer is yes. Uh, this is not, even though the doors are closed, this is not a, you know, got to get checked out at the door sort of environment. We want uh, elders. We want elders' wives. We want those who are interested in training for the eldership. And we've even got a few that are just curious about eldership and what does it all mean and what does the Bible have to say. So hopefully we'll meet all those needs. I'm talking quickly because our time is short. And uh, so they told us last night it's not an hour-long class. It's 45 minutes. And the other important part of this class is we wanted to have a time of question and answer. That's a little risky. And so we're going to do our best to give you information and kind of uh, bring you up to speed on some things, but also give you a chance to uh, ask us some questions. And when I say us, by the way, that's not just Kim and I. I welcome the elders that we have in the room, and I'm glad you guys are here because uh, when it gets to a really hard question, I may toss the ball to you. Uh, we'll see. We may have an open discussion about a few things. But uh, uh, Kim and I have uh, been in the Philly Church 27 years now, and I've served as an elder. I think this is my 10th year as an elder in the church there. Uh, serve alongside John Gaines, Papa John's in the room with us. And then uh, recently we've uh, appointed Randy Sturgeon and Dave Howery, and of course their wives uh, support them as well uh, in the eldership. And so we've got a really good team there, and we're looking to increase our eldership in Philadelphia. So uh, that's... That's the spirit we have. I think that's really the spirit in many places right now is, is let's build the eldership. Let's start an eldership. What does it take to have an eldership? All those questions are being asked. So we're going to try and touch on some of that. Um, I want to give you an update on the elderships around the world and kind of where we're at as a family of church. I okay. uh, wanted to touch on the biblical, biblical qualifications because... That ties in mostly with the title, so you want to be an elder, and we got to find out what the Bible has to say about that. Uh, but I'm also going to give Kim an opportunity to share about the role of the elder's wife. And uh, so that'll be a good time, and she'll bring some good information on that. And then we're going to touch on maybe just a few of the prickly issues that come up from time to time. Not that we're going to answer those questions, and this will not be an in-depth 
theological study. We don't have the time. Uh, and if really we were doing that, I would bring in more qualified teachers to help us out. But uh, we will at least touch on some of those things that are problematic and that make people ask questions about the eldership. And then, like I said, we will have a little bit of question and answer. So, a lot to do. Let's get moving. First of all, let's talk about the eldership today. Um, I like to call it the role of the modern day elder, not taking anything away from scripture, but I think uh, long gone, at least in our family of churches, is the, the image of the elder being the businessman that sits in the back of the room and keeps an eye on the finances or is kind of the stoic, non-involved person that's the, you know, there was kind of that image way back when that the elders were kind of hovering and keeping an eye and making sure that people didn't get out of line. And in particular, those, uh, those evangelist types, you know, that, that we could keep them in check. And, and I think that uh, we've evolved through that period of time. I think that uh, that was a part of our history that needed to change. And I, I'm encouraged that it has changed. In fact, uh, one of the things that encouraged me is when I got to uh, really, uh, Kim and I were invited into the Kingdom Elders Eldership Committee. Um, and we got with about a dozen uh, older uh, elders and their wives. Uh, Wyndham Shaw, Wyndham and Jeannie were kind of spearheading that group, and Wyndham has really uh, discipled me in the eldership and really trained me over the years. But Wyndham's, uh, uh, his, his banner as I was coming in is, Elders are church builders too. Uh, that we work side by side, that we work hand in hand with the evangelists, with the staff, and we work hard at keeping the unity between those groups. Uh, very quickly, the reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, unity is always hard fought, and it's not a new thing. Back in the Corinthian church, when Paul's writing, he says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you may agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Boy, that's setting the bar really high. But then he goes on to say, my brother, some in Cleo's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. And, you know, we know the personality types that are mentioned there. But actually, uh, you find really, in some ways, the biblical roles that are outlined in scriptures in those men. When we talk about Paul and he had a following Paul was an expert church builder, but he was an evangelist. He was out there pushing it, keeping it going, planting churches. And so there's that evangelist mindset. Uh, when another says, I follow uh, Apollos, what do we know about Apollos? Well, he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, and he taught accurately. What was Apollos's kind of... Uh, core character type. He was the teacher type, right? And so that was his thing. He was a smart dude. He, people liked to listen to him because he went deep and he had all those things that people liked to, to hear about. And then, of course, the other one is I follow Cephas. We know Cephas, of course, is Peter. And we really regard Peter to be the uh, kind of premier elder example. We read about Peter's writings. We learn about eldership from him. And so Peter was an elder. So really, when you look at it, we see the evangelist, the teacher, and the elder elder personality types right there in Corinth or right there in the midst of division and quarrels and difficulties and people choosing camps. And we have some of the same here today. 
that there are some like, I just, I just want the church to keep going forward. We've got to win the world. And we all say amen to that, but they gravitate towards the evangelist personality type, right? And then there's the others like those evangelists, they don't go deep enough. You know, we need the real deep teachings. We need to learn the, the ancient languages. We need to get the context and the history. And we need to put those guys up front and really lead us. And that's the teacher camp. And then, of course, there's the Peter camp, the elder camp. And so what happens naturally is people gravitate towards these. And by the way, there's four camps here, right? And the fourth camp is, oh, I follow Christ. That sounds noble. That sounds spiritual. That can also be another independent group. That's that's oh we're above everybody else. We don't we don't stoop to those issues because I follow Jesus. And, and and there's problems with that too. All we're trying to say is disunity and difficulty and tension and separating is kind of just the way we are. That's our human nature. That's where we can go left to ourselves, and we need in particular elder types, shepherding to keep us from going there. Paul's appeal here in First Corinthians is for unity. No divisions among you. And that's what we're called to be in terms of elders. I am so encouraged that in the kingdom right now, that there is such an eagerness for unity. There is a synergy between evangelists and elders and teachers like maybe never before. Uh, It's been hard fought. (laughs) It's taken time to get here. But to see elders and evangelists working side by side, hand in hand, and really forging unity that the whole congregation can see, that they mutually support one another publicly, that it's not like, well, okay, I'll say it publicly, but really that teacher, that, 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 that elder guy, that whatever's slowing down the work. No, everybody's working together. So there's a lot of unity there. That's very encouraging. In the kingdom right now, 2018, we have 212 elders in 59 churches. Uh, there's 13 countries. The newest elderships have been established over the last couple of years, uh, both in Mexico and the Philippines. For a long time, Mexico did not have an eldership. And we're having eldership started all around the world. And yet Mexico in our backyard did not have an eldership. And I got to tell you, it, on the elder service committee, it pained us. But we came to realize because at one point we just said, well, we'll just go down there and we'll start elderships in those churches. Until we realized that it wasn't really a lack of desire. But it was a lack of families really having children being brought up in the Lord, having the believing children that we'll talk about here in a little bit, that, that they had lost a generation. And so it's taken time to really shepherd and work with the Mexican churches and help them get to the point where there can be an eldership. But we have one now. Philippines also very encouraging. And in the ACR and our family of churches. We have new eldership since our last conference. We've got the Potomac Valley eldership. They're awesome and very encouraged by that. Cincinnati established their eldership. And then we've had elders added to elderships, both in Philadelphia, Hampton Roads, uh, Northern Virginia. A lot of good things going on. So there's a groundswell in this area. Very exciting, very encouraging. There's no longer the tug of war, but it's everybody working together. So very encouraging there. The other thing, and I think most of us in the room are aware that the kingdom has spent time talking about what's been uh, labeled 3.0, ICOC 3.0. And uh, a part of that was in terms of leadership and leadership components and how do we work with evangelists, elders, teachers, what kind of committees do we need to establish. But then a subset of that for the elder service committee was dealing with conflict resolution. And goodness, you know, no matter how much we try to be unified, 
Satan just gets in there. And, and whether it's personality types, whether it's cultural differences, whether it's issues over money or authority or whatever, conflicts arise. And, you know, we spent a lot of time, and I worked uh, specifically with conflict resolution. First of all, we changed the name. Um, that just kind of, you know, you kind of bait the issue when you just keep talking about conflict all the time. Then people feel like they got to have conflict. So we called it Peacemakers. Blessed are the Peacemakers. We thought, yeah, that makes a little more sense. But um, we had hoped that maybe we could establish a global peacemakers kind of approach. But when it was all said and done in Panama, we're not ready for that big step yet. But I am super encouraged that uh, we now have a mandate for all 34 regions all around the world to begin to build their own peacemaking sort of teams, their own conflict resolution teams in their regions. But in particular, that the elders would shepherd over that. that the elders would be involved in working with that. So, very encouraging there. So that's kind of what's been going on around the world and in the ACR and the ICOC, very encouraging stuff. But really, you're here to talk about being an elder. So you want to be an elder. So let's talk about biblical qualifications. And if Bob could pass out a handout that I just took the liberty of taking the three primary passages. Um, got about 50 of them. I think we'll get enough for everybody to have one, but maybe as it gets towards the back because you came in later, you're scared to come up front. You'll, only, you'll have to share. Just kidding. So you want to be an elder. Well, you're in the right class and the Bible has a lot to say about elders, which by the way, we uh, use the term in our, it's our vernacular, it's our family of churches. We use elder a lot. But if you study the word, you'll see elder, overseer, bishop, presbyter, shepherd, and pastor are all tied into the same word. Uh, you know, that may touch some of your previous spiritual roots. I don't know. When you talk about a presbyter, what do you think of? The Presbyterian church. All right. When you talk about a bishop. You know, maybe there's some Baptists in the room or, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the idea of a bishop. You know, that's kind of a big deal. You know, need a, a parking place or something for that. But, uh, <laughs> and then the one that um, is interesting to me because really uh, the evangelical world has accepted the idea of a pastor. And uh, pretty much they call their preachers pastors. Yeah, yeah. And just for fun, I'll often use that as a jumping off point to have a conversation because really um, they're misusing the term unless that preacher is also qualified in terms of the biblical qualifications to be an elder and so it's always an interesting conversation I'm not trying to pick a fight but I think that it's good for us to understand that really pastor is elder okay it's it's a person that meets the biblical biblical qualifications not just the guy that that's up front the people saying oh that's my pastor uh, that's, he often doesn't quite qualify biblically. So, anyway, you've got the sheets here. We've got the three primary passages, 1 Peter chapter 5, Titus chapter 1, and 1 Timothy chapter 3. And really, there's a lot of overlap in these passages. But I wanted to use them today and put them in front of you so that you could see. I think there's some subtle distinctions or at least subtle emphasis in terms of what is talked about in these passages. And so... You know, when you uh, talk about 1 Peter chapter 5, for example, 
I think really what Peter, the elder, is talking about is really the heart of the elder. I'll read to the elders among you. I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Uh, obviously, the uh, type in bold is my emphasis, but I wanted us to see in that passage that really Peter is saying, this has got to start with the heart. I, I, I feel bad sometimes because I hear about churches that are desperate for elders, but there's kind of a, a push on a, a, a brother that maybe meets the qualification to be the elder because they're so desperate. They want elders. Yeah, come on, Walter. But that brother's not quite ready. He doesn't quite have it in the heart yet. He may get there. But we've got to make sure that we're eager to serve, that we're willing to be a shepherd, that we're not doing it because we must, but because we're willing. And, and, and so if you want to be an elder, this is kind of step one. <laughs> You've really got to want it. Okay, you can't just be coerced into it. You can't just be uh, convinced or pushed or put in a position where you almost have to be an elder. You've got to have the heart that says, you know what, this is really what I want to do. Amen. I think that we've got to get honest about our core character type, who we really are. Are we shepherds by nature? Um, as I look around this room, I see men that actually gravitate towards shepherding more than other areas. Now, you can do other areas. I'm an evangelist and an elder. And for most of my uh, uh, ministry life, I have been an evangelist. Right. And so I've planted churches and we lived overseas and we've worked with all different types of ministries. And I've done the very best I can. I, you know, when I'm to preach on Sunday, I want to be fired up. I want to go for it. I want to really put it out there. I want to call the congregation higher. I want to seek and save the lost. That's the evangelist in me. But when I get honest, my default mode is shepherding. And I know that. And I'm comfortable with that. I will never be Chip Mitchell. <laughs> There's just no way. You know, I was in a discipleship group one time with a bunch of older brothers. And we were talking and I was uh, being open. And I said, you know, I just get frustrated. I said, you know, I'm around some great preachers. And so when I hear Doug Arthur preach, I think, you know, I just want to do that. I want to learn how to do that. And my dear brother, Randy McKean, in the same group, said, Walter, how old are you? And I think at that point I was about 50, 56, 57. And so I said, I'm, I'm 57. He said, you know, you're probably not going to get there. <laughs> if it hasn't changed by now, you're probably not going to get there. And the whole room went quiet for a minute. And then these brothers that I'm very close to kind of all busted out laughing because they agreed. You know, we want to be a different, you know, I want to go Mach 5 with my hair on fire. I love to see the guys that are up there. Will Archer today preaching to the men did a phenomenal job. I want to be like that. But really my gift and what I do best is shepherding. And you've got to identify that. And then you've got to be willing to serve in that way. 
In Titus chapter 1, it says, An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. What you have from Titus is really the character of the, the character issues that surround the eldership. Peter was talking about the heart. Titus is just going, okay, this is what he needs to be, or even more so with Titus, this is what he shouldn't be. This is what he is not to do. And that's a pretty good checklist for us, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we'll leave the family ones out for now because we'll get to that next. But really, the blameless, not quick-tempered, uh, drunkenness, not having that, not, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. You know, these are things where we've got to keep our lives in check. Amen. And once again, why do we do that? Because the church watches. Yes. Yes. You know, let me say this, and it's really become more and more true as I continue to grow as an elder. Uh, elders are leaders. Okay. And leaders need to be out front. Right. And so from time to time, an elder will be out front, not like an evangelist. But there's times when the elder needs to have the talk with the church, right? It's time to get up and say something. And you know how it is. And for the elders in the room, when you show up in a region that you normally don't belong to, it's like the Grim Reaper just rolled into town. It's like, uh oh, someone's getting fired or somebody's getting warned or something's going on or whatever. But sometimes the elder needs to be out front and bring kind of do the heavy lifting. And that's hard. So an elder's a leader and sometimes out front. An elder's a leader, but sometimes in the back. Unknown. Dealing with issues that the church doesn't really know about. Issues that deal with confidentiality. That are a personal nature. That are a struggle that if really it was out there in the general population of the church, people would be unnerved by it. But really, sometimes the elder is in the back. So sometimes they lead from the front, sometimes they lead from the back quietly, but in the thick of things. But mostly, mostly elders lead from the middle. They lead from the middle. They lead from within the sheep. You know, um, probably in your church, it's true in Philadelphia, we all have our places where we sit and we also know where other people sit, right? And... It's good for the elders, I think, to sit among the sheep, yes. you know, to scatter out, to switch up, to not always have to be in the same place. And, uh, and we like our, I've got my spot in Philadelphia, but sometimes I got to go, you know, sometimes it's good for me to sit in the middle. Sometimes let me move over to that side. Let me do this and that. It's because we're supposed to be among the sheep because people watch us. They, they can cut some slack to your evangelist when he overstates or they can have some compassion for that deacon who really doesn't have a public presence even by biblical qualification he doesn't need to but they need the elder the elder's wife to be in the middle because they're watching how do you do marriage how do you raise your kids 
how do you keep your character in check when you want to get mad or you're tired or you're having a tough time at work because you're a tent maker type elder, not a full-time elder? And believe me, the church is watching. And so that's really what Titus is talking about here is all these character types are up front and people are observing. You know, for Kim and I, and, and we've done a lot of work in the past with camps and youth corps and things like that. But one of the really rewarding moments for us is after one of those 10-day stints with kids that you've really gotten close to, they come up just before they say goodbye and go back to their home congregation. They say, how can I be like you? How, how can I get where you are? And that, that's very impacting. That makes you feel like, wow. You know, that's what I... I know my shortcomings. I'm, like I said, there's a lot of things I don't do well. But if I can live the life around the people and they can see that they can have success and they can have a strong marriage and raise their kids and, and be respected in the community and, and, and nobody's wondering whether there's some sort of thing going on behind the scenes. There's none of that. Then it brings them a sense of, of excitement about moving on. Let's go on to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy says, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, uh, not a lover of money, must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and do so in a manner worthy, full of respect. If he does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? And then it says he must not be a recent convert. Um, just to keep us moving here, I think Timothy here really brings to the surface the issue of family. Yeah. And he's saying, okay, all these other qualifications are important too. You know, can't be a drunkard, you know, can't be violent, can't be the, but, but the family, faithful to his wife, raising his kids, manages his own family well, and then Timothy makes the connection between the physical family and the church family. Right. If he can't do that at home, we really can't put him out there for the example to the church. So this is where it becomes important to know how to, to deal with kids and marriage and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's a part of eldership too. There's a lot of guys that are gifted at managing and they're talented and they're CEOs and they're successful and all this kind of stuff. But if they're not doing it at home, people pick up on it. And God say, no, that's really what's important. So now, having said all that, I do want to give Kim some time to talk about the role of the elder's wife Amen. and how important that is. So she'll come up at this time. I'll be very brief so we have time for questions. But um, one of the misconceptions that I had when Walter was appointed an elder was that he was appointed an elder and I wasn't that there wasn't a role or that wasn't, I wasn't given a title, but life changed for me also. And um, no one gave me that news flash. And so, um, you know, when he was appointed evangelist and I was appointed women's ministry leader, which I think is best when it's a couple in that way. And that happened twice before, once in the States and once in the UK. I knew by my flowers that I got, that that was, uh, something was happening. Um, so I didn't change anything, which was a mistake, because somehow people listen to my words differently. 
And so what I had to realize after making mistakes was, wow, where I would just say something in the fellowship and, oh, you were my friend and I talked to you like that before. Somehow those words were weighed more heavily. Um, and I had to be careful about that and understand. The wives are essential. It's the only role in the Bible where how the wife is doing is what makes the husband eligible. Yeah. And what's going on at home. And we have such a huge part of what's going on at home. Yeah. Um, so we have to understand... The other thing I just totally didn't understand is even though I was in the ministry, the elders' wives are, it's one of your essential roles is taking care of the staff women. Amen. That's a hard role in the church. And most of them are married to crazy evangelists yeah. that can push them too hard and go to crazy places. And we need to be the ones that are there that are really have the ear of the women's staff and taking care of them so Satan doesn't take them out. You know, we've got to take that. Hospitality, these verses, the first one, it says eager to serve. The second one talks about hospitality. The third one's hospitable. It's so much a part of what we do. There's something spiritual about food and eating together and hospitality. And that's just, I don't understand it. You see it with Jesus. Um, it's just so important. And that we're willing and that we're there and that we open our homes. Our influence is huge. We've got to understand that it can't just be that I just let down. When Walter's talking about this situation and that, if God is prompting me to give the other side, I need to be courageous enough to give the other side, mm -hmm. not just pour gasoline on the fire. You know, my influence matters. I've got to really take the opportunities that present me I really think that the wives need to be in the elders' meetings a lot of the time. What we bring to the table, we've got to say it. Direct, decisions are different when women are involved. Um, and I think we've got to weigh that out and understand and understand that I have to do it in the right way, but I've got, it's so important. Unity. I do believe when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And... Um, what we bring to the church, we're the mood setters in our home and we're the mood setters in our churches. And most of our churches are more women than men. So we, again, we've got to weigh our words carefully and we've got to be the ones that set the temperature. We've got to listen, but we're not just reporters. We need to change the temperature to a godly place. And we need to bring about unity. Amen. We've got to pray that God will guide us of what to say and how to say it. Yep. Yeah, and say it in a way that it can be heard. Hmm. One of the things Walter said to me in Panama, because um, I've been working on the women's role discussions and this and that, and I never signed up for that. Somehow I won that prize. I don't know. Um, I like my role. I don't have an issue with my role. But he said, you've got to get more comfortable with divergent opinions. I was like, yeah, I'm not very good at that. But that's okay. In the church, that's who we are. And that's who we are in our homes. So many of our kids talk freely to mom about how they're feeling about everything. I always say, if your kids are talking, it's a good thing. If the disciples are talking to you, you're, you're in the game. Amen. It's a good thing. But we need to know what, we need to really pray about what and how to say it back to them and what our answers yeah. should be. You know, we've got to be prayer warriors. 
Absolutely, it has to be. I'll tell you, in Panama, the highlight of our, my time there was Meek Young Yi, who's an elder's wife from Virginia, from um, Northern Virginia, came up to me and said, how's this situation going in your life? And I was blown away. She said, I have prayed for you every day since the last time I saw you. And I said, whoa, it's a lot better. And I said, I prayed about it, but I didn't have much faith. So I'm sure it was your prayer. But the power of an elder's wife walking up to you and telling you, I'm praying for you every single day is mind-blowing. And we have that. So, amen. Amen. We're going to get to the question and answer here in just a minute, but just to underscore and kind of to tie all this together, um, elders are uniquely qualified. It's not just something to be taken lightly. It is a core character type in terms of shepherding, but it also, there's a need for being able to be comfortable with balance. You know, some people don't like balance, even though they say they do. They, they, they want to be unbalanced because it's more exciting. Balance sometimes can be boring from some people's perspective. And sometimes the elders can come across a little bit boring because they're just keeping things balanced. But we got to be good with that. We got to be able to uh, withstand long suffering. You know, we live in the uh, soundbite world. People want to move on. And with the elders, if there's a conflict, for example, we're going to stay at it until this gets resolved. Other people are like, are we still dealing with that? Yes, we are. <laughs> and we got we got to stay at it. Uh, unbiased love. Sometimes you're going to have to champion the underdog that everybody else has a negative opinion of, but you're in there. You're really trying to, to represent both sides and be unbiased. Um, and then the, the other thing that I anticipate we've got to get honest about in our movement is that as our, our pulpit evangelist age, they don't want to step out of the ministry. So in their minds, they're thinking, well, my next step is to be an elder. They may not be qualified. You know, the whole idea of temperance and balance. And, you know, that's, that, I didn't put them in the pulpit. You know, they, they, everybody likes them because they're going for it. And so we got to be really ready to wrestle with these sort of issues. Okay? So we're going to open up for question and answer here in a minute. But I will just throw out the problematic issues that probably you want to talk about. And uh, when we even look at the passages that we've just referred to, the issue of husband but one wife. Okay? Um, you know, issues regarding divorce, divorce before being in the kingdom or even divorce while in the kingdom, widowed, uh, even from a global perspective, we've got now elderships in Africa, for example, and we've got uh, brothers in the African churches, not in the eldership, that have more than one wife. So that issue is kind of coming uh, around to us, the issue of believing children. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, how many? All of them? Do they mean they're baptized or believing or this and that and the other? Um, not a recent convert. You know, in my mind, that points to the fact that eldership stays localized and that it's something that you mature into. Uh, reputation with outsiders, that's what I really meant, was it stays localized because there's a need to be regarded by the local community and the local church. And that seems, in my mind, to cause us to step away from this idea of a regional elder or that you can transfer an elder to another church and he's kind of instantly an elder, things like that. Mm -hmm. So these are issues that I'm putting out there maybe to head you off at the past because we haven't landed the plane on all these issues. These are a bit gnarly issues that we need to continue to study and talk about and the teachers 
uh, are working on, and we, the elders committee, will ask the teachers committee, okay, put together a good study, put together a good paper on these topics. So I'm just kind of putting it out there. The last thing is we've got to, more than anything, continue to fight for unity. Amen. That, in my mind, and, and, and really for the Elder Service Committee, is our big challenge, is we've got to fight for unity. Okay, so I've talked enough. We've said some things. Uh, questions, comments, and once again, uh, happy for the elders in the room to chime in with answers as well. So, let's hear from you guys. Go ahead. Yeah. Sure. On the early, early side of the spectrum, as far as eligibility, um, kids and age of accountability, Sure. Uh, well, it's interesting, the phrase age of accountability. Um, you know, what is that? And, and I think if we come from a history of even the churches of Christ, there was kind of a set age. Uh, some in the room could speak to that. Uh, we don't really look at that. We look at when are they ready to be uh, disciples and can live the life of a disciple and then baptize to the point of going from being lost to being saved. That has become, and really just so you know, in the kingdom so far, mostly we err on the side of let's be conservative. Yeah. Let's make sure that we don't jump too fast or move too quickly. So I would say broad brush, there's a sense of at least most of the kids need to be baptized uh, before somebody's considered to be an elder. In Philadelphia, we wanted, we, we took the conservative position, all kids baptized, all kids doing well in the church when you're appointed to be an elder. Okay. I think with that, just weighing out that being an elder puts pressure on your kids. Right. Yeah. So it's not as much, it's not about the man being ready to be an elder or the wife, but are you ready to take that on, on your kids? Yeah. It's tremendous pressure for the kids that are not baptized when an elder is appointed yeah. that they will mess up their dad's yeah. life yeah. if they're not baptized. That's and that's, that's how they think. Yeah. So on that side, just to think about the kids. Good. And how it affects them. Excellent. Yeah, there we go. Kyle? Uh, so we're trying to figure out the eldership enrichment. Yeah. And um, so we, we wanted to try to expand. We don't know how many should train. Um, we kind of got together. We thought there's a group of eight that should be there or could get there in years. Right. But that feels hard because it seems like a lot of people. Yeah. And we don't know if we should narrow that down to a much smaller group. We don't think it should just be Tony and I training for. We feel like there should be some other guys of accountability mm -hmm. that are also going along with us. Mm -hmm. Maybe don't get there at the same time. Uh, we don't know. We actually don't know how to think about it. Those are some of good thoughts. Well, I think first of all, biblically, we're uh, warned about being too hasty with the laying on of hands. Mm -hmm. um, I think we saw a reaction, and we were reactive around 2003, 2005, where churches didn't have elders and then all of a sudden had eight elders and in most cases that didn't seem to go too well um, that it, it just went too fast and, and there was kind of a quick appointment sort of process um, I would say slow and steady wins the wins the day I also think and, and this is just once again in Philadelphia we at one point kind of designated elders in training publicly that became analogous to being an athlete and being put on the cover of Sports Illustrated. <laughs> it seemed to lead to the demise of that particular person, like it was too much pressure, too much out front. So we do more kind of clandestine, quiet, 
behind the scenes training. Uh, the people that were interested in raising up for the eldership know that. Uh, we tend to then begin to pull them into a training program within the eldership, um, but it's not public and, and, and it's certainly not pressure on their kids and none of that sort of thing. Right. So I would say going slowly, but methodically uh, having a, a training program. Uh, there are churches, Philadelphia's got the program we use. Boston has done a really good job putting mm -hmm. together an elder training program. Yeah. There's other places as well. So, okay. Okay. Um, young Christians, meaning. Well, younger Christians or singles, campus students, um, people who are maturing, growing in their faith, and maybe don't mean any of the Is something they should dream about? Well, that, that, it's a great, great question. Let's right now draw the distinction between being appointed as an elder and shepherding. Because the church needs shepherding, and even in campus ministry, you have. Crazy campus students that are ready to stay up till four in the morning and do nutty things and all this kind of stuff. And then you actually have some campus students that are in the midst but go, you know what, we, we got to balance this out a little bit. That's shepherding. And so there's always a need for shepherding within a group. Somebody that's got a little more clear minded or more maturity. Um, if that's what we're talking about, then every church needs that in every ministry. I think for young men and even women to be growing in that area and learning even from passages to talk about eldership, how to shepherd better, that's great for everybody. The church that's needs right. that. The danger is when we tip the scales too far one way or the other. Yeah. We've seen the church go just all out, bottom line, let's just baptize until the cows come home. And we did that and a lot of growth but not a lot of shepherding inside. There were, were problems growing and take, uh, things going on with a growing church that weren't being taken care of. And that ended up blowing up. But then we, we overreacted the other way. And it all became internal. And we were programs on programs and meeting needs and wanting to listen to everybody and make sure that everybody felt validated and this, that, and the other. And that got messed up. And so now we're swinging back the other way. But once again, we've now reached a point where evangelists and elders are working side by side. And that, that's the right balance. So I'm all for shepherding. And I think with what you're saying, so when Walter and I lead youth corps where people come up to us after and say, we want your life. I think what they're doing is they're looking at, we have a good marriage, we have believing children, we have grandchildren. They want that. And I think it's great for campus students and teens to set their sights on whether I'm ever an elder or not, I want to be qualified right. to be an yeah. elder. That's, mm -hmm. I've, I've managed my family well. Um, so I think that that's a great goal and is something for them to shoot for and pray about. Okay. Guys, we're moving along with the time. We're going to take two more questions and then I'm happy, yeah, happy to step out and we can talk in the hallway, but there'll be another class in here. So yes, please. Well, it's funny. It's absolutely true. And I think we're moms. Yes. So we can say things. I have a great relationship with my son and I say very direct things to him. It's funny because Jameson Malcolm, we disciple Lauren and Jameson. 
I have a very similar relationship with Jameson that I do my son. And we work on a lot of things together. Um, so I do think that you're absolutely right with the young men. And we can say things that their peers can't say in a respectful way. Mm. Having said that, I also know that only men can help men be men. So I always have to keep that in mind and I have to step back and ask myself, is this appropriate? I work with a lot of young men at camp in the summer. Yeah. And I think, is this best for me to say or is this best for a man to say to him? So it is a balance and it's true, um, just like raising sons. You know, we don't want henpecked boys. So we don't, that, that whole thing, but I agree with it. And it's the influence yeah. in being wise with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, last one, Ed. Um, you talked about how the elders, are, sometimes they're in the front, sometimes they're in the middle, sometimes they're in the back. Yep. Well, I was gonna ask if, you know, considering all confidentiality, if, there's, if you can give us an example of <laughs> something that uh, as an elder, you uh, 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 would have, you know, a, a, elder would have to face, you have to look at, that you know, maybe the uh, congregation wouldn't normally see, that we wouldn't see, um, um, to, as much as things you could. Let me just say, and it's a great question, it'll be our last question, but you got to be ready to take on the scariest, biggest, nastiest, most awkward, most personal, a lot of tears, usually anger, those are going to come to you as an elder. First couple of rounds, it can be really frightening. And if you're a young elder, you're like, what in the world? But I mean, just not to be too, too detailed, but sexual abuse in the church. That falls on your plate. And you're like, how could this be in the church? But it is. And you've got to figure out how to deal with it. And, and we've dealt with issues like that in Philadelphia. Uh, it's very, very painful. But you actually grow to the point where you learn how to help and you also rely on outside resources. You don't try and do it all alone. But you've got to be ready to take on that kind of stuff. And you do it as a team. That's why eldership is plural. You can, nobody could take these things on themselves. And so we work together as a team. But it's a great question, but that is what you're facing. Um, it's, that's the quiet stuff that's in the middle that uh, most people don't know about. Okay, guys, uh, I know we've just touched the surface, but thank you. And uh, once again, we'll be in the hall if you want to talk some more, but we got to let the next class come on in. Thank you.